Hey everybody, welcome to Come Follow Me Daily Dose. I'm Lindsay Hansen and today is November 7th. Today we're going to begin this week's Come Follow Me block, which is Doctrine and Covenants section 129 through 132. There are some really great sections this week, and I'm excited to study these doctrines with you. But first, let's start off by taking a look at section 129. Now, this section is really interesting. And I remember as a little girl, when I first heard about this, I remember being in older primary age and a teacher teaching me about this. I remember thinking that I was going to really need to remember because I thought that it was going to be something that I would need to put into practice a lot in my life. Turns out I haven't had to use it once, but it's <laughs> it's still good to know. The reason why I laugh is that here in this section, Joseph Smith teaches how to know the difference between an angel, a spirit, and the adversary when he comes in the form of an angel of light. Now, something that's really interesting to me about that is Sometimes we hear that, okay, Satan coming in the form of an angel of light, and that kind of takes us off guard a little bit because it doesn't seem like he should be able to do that, that he should be able to mimic that light. But it's actually really interesting because a lot of biblical scholars believe that the Hebrew translation for serpent, I think that they believe it was off by a letter and it would change the translation from serpent to angel of light or being of light. And honestly, that would make a lot more sense to me. Rather than Eve being in the Garden of Eden and being approached by a talking snake and thinking, yeah, well, the talking snake says this, so it's got to be right. It makes a lot more sense that perhaps she was approached by what she thought was an angel of light. And having that angel of light tell her things, it makes a lot more sense that maybe she would buy into that or that she would believe certain things. Now, that's not to say that I believe that Mother Eve was tricked or anything like that. I think that she did see the logic in the half-truths that the adversary told her. I don't think that he won in that circumstance at all, because the adversary always teaches and tries to deceive in half-truths. He never comes out and tells us bold-faced lies. That's not how he works, because he understands that those who are trying to follow Christ wouldn't fall into those bold-faced lies. Rather, he tells us half-truths and tries to deceive us little by little. As the scriptures put us, he tries to lead us carefully down to hell, little bit by little bit. And he does that through these half-lies and half-truths. And so it would make sense to me that if the adversary approached Eve in the form of an angel of light and then told these half-truths that honestly Eve could see the truth behind or the full story of, it makes sense that she would make the choice that she made rather than if a talking serpent came up to her rolling an apple along the ground saying, hey, you should eat this. <laughs> now, we also see that in the book of Alma. Korhor explains that he was visited by an angel and deceived by that angel. And so it would make sense that somewhere in our doctrine, we are given this ability or given these truths so that we can know how to distinguish. Here in this section, we're taught that if we receive a visitation, we should ask whoever it is to shake hands. That's how we'll know what kind of being we're dealing with. In verse 8, it says, If it be the devil as an angel of light, when you ask him to shake hands, he will offer you his hand, and you will not feel anything. You may therefore detect him. So being 
the adversary being deceptive, he will try to shake your hand. You won't be able to feel anything and you'll be able to recognize the adversary for who he is. We're also told that if it's a spirit, the spirit won't move, but will just deliver their message because it goes contrary to the plan of heaven for a good spirit, a righteous spirit to try to deceive us. And that if it actually be an angel, because here the definition of angel is a resurrected personage with a body of flesh and bones, that the angel will shake our hand and we'll be able to feel the angel, his tangible body. Now, like I said, when I very first learned about that, I tried really hard to remember, okay, I'm going to try to shake hands, but who's who? Because I felt like it was just going to be a much bigger issue in my life than it turns out it has been. But I want to today take a look at what this means, because here, oftentimes we use the term angel as any being from the other side. Usually we refer to angels as being unseen spirits from the other side. Now here, according to this definition, that would be a spirit. But I don't think that these definitions are as important as understanding the truthfulness of the doctrine behind this, the truthfulness of angels that come to us and spirits that come to us to help us, to assist us, to inspire us. But that being said, for the purpose of teaching today, I do want to take a look at the two definitions here. In verse 3, it says, The spirits of just men made perfect, they are who are not resurrected, but inherit the same glory. So a spirit is an unresurrected being who has a form of glory. When we talk about ministering angels on the other side, when we talk about unseen help from the other side, really it's these spirits that we're talking about. There are stories from the Martin Hancart Company about people going through the hardest times and feeling like they had nothing left as they were pushing or pulling their handcart. And then all of a sudden feeling as if there were multiple people pushing on the back of their handcart, so much so that they didn't really have to pull anymore. But when they looked back, they couldn't see anyone there. That would be technically a spirit, even though we refer to it as being an angel. And I think that that's okay. I don't think that the verbiage is necessarily super important. But what I do love about this is here, it says that angels are resurrected personages, and then more importantly, having bodies of flesh and bones. Now, the reason why I like that definition, that an angel has a body of flesh and bones, is because I think that it's important that we understand that we have the ability to be angels in the lives of others. Yes, we're not resurrected beings, but as bodies of flesh and bones, we have the ability to minister in the lives of others and to be angels for them. Elder Holland once said, When we speak of those who are instruments in the hands of God, we are reminded that not all angels come from the other side of the veil. Some of them we walk with and talk with here, now, every day. Some of them reside in our own neighborhoods, Indeed, heaven never seems closer than when we see the love of God manifested in the kindness and devotion of people so good and so pure that angelic is the only word that comes to mind. So my friends, am I a little bit disappointed that I haven't needed this information or knowledge from section 129 as much as I thought I would when I was in primary? Yes, a little bit. (laughs) But... Even though I have not beheld a resurrected, glorified being, what this section defines as an angel, I have had the chance many times in my life to view and witness the kind of angel that Elder Holland talks about. Instruments in the hands of God. 
people who manifest the love of God in their kindness and devotion. Not only have I seen those angels frequently in my life, but every single day we have the opportunity to try to be that kind of angel in the lives of others. As Elder Uchtdorf taught us years ago, we are the Savior's hands. And as we strive to be His hands, we have the opportunity to be an angel in the lives of all those who we meet. Thank you so much for listening today. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure to follow us on social media, subscribe, like, comment, or share. This has been Come Follow Me, Daily Dose, and I'm Lindsay Hansen. 